0: Well, this morning we are continuing in our study from that Old Testament book of Jonah. Now, if you're having trouble finding it, if this helps you, it's between Obadiah and Micah. Does that help? You can look there. Probably not. But I want to get you to open your Bibles there. We're going to be in the first chapter. And if you were here last week, we looked at the first verses of that chapter in which God gave Jonah an unprecedented mission. He told him that he was to go to Nineveh and preach against the Assyrian people there. Now, it was unprecedented because up to this time, no prophet had ever been asked to leave Israel and go to a Gentile city, much less a city like Nineveh. The Assyrians were some of the most ruthless, violent, cruel people in the world at that time. They were known to be cruel. They did terrible things. And so Jonah doesn't want to go. So what does he do? He takes off and he begins to flee from the presence of the Lord. That's what he thinks he can do. He begins to flee from the presence of the Lord. And I told you last week, but God loved him too much to let him go. You remember this is how we ended last week. God loves you too much to let you go. And so it's his relentless love. This series is called his relentless love. And that's really what the book of Jonah is all about. It's about the relentless love of God. It's about his compassion. It's about his mercy. It's about his patience and all of those things that make him the awesome God that he is. And so Jonah tries to run away from God, and, but God's not going to let him go. And so he sent a violent storm. See, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went the opposite direction from what God had told him to go. So he goes down to Joppa, which was the major seaport in Israel at that time, and he boarded a ship headed for Tarshish. He thought, if I could get to Tarshish, that's about as far away from God as I can get. So he boards the ship, he heads out, and the storm comes. And the sailors now, I mean, the ship is about to be destroyed. The sailors' lives are in jeopardy. And so we're going to pick up at that point today. But let me ask you this. Where was Jonah when all this was going on? Look at this. It says, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, what in the world was that about? It took a pagan sea captain to confront a prophet of God who said to him, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And you remember what happened? Then the sailors cast Lot. They wanted to know... Who, was the, who, who caused all this calamity? And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, that's where we ended last week. So we're going to pick up at verse 11 this morning in chapter 1. This is the word of God. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. O oh Lord, you have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So the storm's getting wilder and wilder and wilder. And I love uh, what what the sailors say. What should we, talking to Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah answers, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. Now, look, let's be honest. What in the world's going on with Jonah? What were his motives here that he would be willing to sacrifice himself for a bunch of pagan sailors? I don't think it was repentance toward God. Because you don't see Jonah confessing his sin of running from God, of being in disobedience to God, of being in rebellion against God. You don't see him dealing with God here. But there's hope. Because what Jonah does is he takes responsibility for bringing this calamity. He looks at those sailors, they are the innocent people, and he sees them and he takes responsibility that brought about the storm. Look at what he said. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, here's my point this morning. First, Jonah clearly accepted responsibility for his actions. You know, there comes a time in our lives that we have to do the same thing. There comes a time in our lives when we have to be honest about our sinful attitudes and about our sinful actions. Those things that we've just come to make patterns in our lives that we don't take very seriously. And what we often do is we begin to blame other people. We begin to make excuses. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? But there comes a point in our lives that we have to be honest about our sin you know the scripture is very clear it says if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and I think this morning one of the first things I'm going to say to you when we talk about this incredibly different difficult subject of the wrath of God in a few minutes is sin is a grievous offense against God and we can't hide that fact that we're all sinners in this place every one of us The gospel puts us on the same playing field, on a level playing field. We all desperately need Christ, but the scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Now, in order for us to experience forgiveness, we not only have to take responsibility and seek repentance before God, But we have to grasp the means that makes our forgiveness possible. Now, this is where we're going to dig deep this morning. What are the means that God has provided for us to be able to be forgiven of our sins? You know, I'm convinced of this. There is so much shallow Christianity today. Um, you, You know, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God. How many sermons you heard on that lately? We're going to be talking about the anger of God. How much do you hear about that? We're going to be talking dealing with sin as an offense against God. How often do we hear that today? You know, people, Paul talked about the people want to have their ears tickled. But let me tell you, you cannot get away from the script. This is what I love about expository preacher, preaching. That's what the kind of preaching that Richard and I do. We take you through books of the Bible. And you know what? It forces us to deal with hard subjects. We have to understand the nature, the depth of the nature of sin, and we have to understand the means that God has made for us in order for us to experience forgiveness. Now, in this passage, there are two very important theological concepts. The first one is the principle of substitution, and the second one is the concept of propitiation. And understanding these things is essential for us to really grasp what our salvation is all about and to understand the essence of the Christian faith. These two are are very critical points that every believer needs to understand for us to appreciate so great a salvation as we have. So first of all, the principle of substitution. Now, you understand what's happening here. Jonah became the substitute for the sailors, right? That's what happened here. Jonah was thrown overboard in uh, in place of the sailors dying. So he becomes the substitute. Now, just bear with me for a minute here. When we study through the Old Testament and all the way through the Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, we constantly, when we're as Brian would do, or or Richard would do, any of us who preach, when we're in Old Testament passages, we have to put on a set of lens, and it's called the historical redemptive set of lens, in which we begin to look at the the scripture, and what we want to find is what is the common theme of the gospel that's found throughout the scripture. Listen, there is a storyline that runs from Genesis to Revelation. There is a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And that scarlet thread, that key storyline, is that God is in the business of, re- of redeeming a people for himself through the sacrifice of his son. That's the redemptive thing. So back in Jonah's day... We're on the other side of the cross. We see the big picture. We see the whole thing. So when we're studying in Jonah, we have to look at that and say, all right, historically at this point, where is the gospel in this passage? Or let me get more precise, where's Jesus in the passage? And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Where's the gospel? Where's Jesus in this passage? And one of the key principles that's found in the gospel is this idea of substitution. Of substitution. You remember that God introduced the idea of substitution to Abraham. Do you remember that? Abraham was called to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah and he was about to do that. The angel stopped him and what happened? Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Look at the last words instead of his son. So that ram became the substitute for Isaac. And in fact, when you look through the entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament, it's based on the principle of a substitute, substitutionary atonement. That was the means that God provided for us to escape judgment and find forgiveness. Now notice what happens here. Jonah voluntarily offers of himself, pick me up. Throw me into sea, I know that I'm the problem. But not only did he take responsibility, but listen to this. He was willing to give his life to save those sailors. Now, let me ask you do you see the gospel here? Fast forward to the cross. And what do we see there? We see. The ultimate substitute. Do you remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus, what he said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was the prophet Isaiah who wrote these words, but he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought peace upon him, that brought peace to us was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He became the ultimate sacrifice. Now, you understand that there's a huge difference between Jonah and Jesus here. Jonah admitted that he was the problem. It was his sin that caused the problem in the first place. But Jesus, on the other hand was completely innocent. Look, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus voluntarily became the substitute. Now, that's the first principle here of understanding the depth of our salvation. But we got to dig a little deeper here. With substitutionary atonement, we got to go a little bit deeper... And we come to the concept of propitiation. Now, you find that word several times in the Scripture. And you find that in this passage. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And what happened to the angry sea, to the raging sea? What happened? It became calm. Now, this gives us some insight into what it means, propitiation. Propitiation involves the wrath of God. Now, when we worked on this service today, part of what we did with this service, and it was different, was to give you some kind of feel for the wrath of God. You heard a Mozart piece. It was angry. You see, that's the wrath of God. And let me tell you this. People don't like the subject of the wrath of God. We try to avoid it. We've heard of it. We try to avoid it. But you cannot escape it. You find it hundreds of times in the scripture. And failing to deal with the wrath of God. When we talk about the wrath of God, what are we talking about? It is the means by which God expresses his anger over sin. A.W. Pink says, the wrath of God is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. Now, let me tell you this. To ignore the wrath of God is to do injustice to the holiness of God. To ignore the wrath of God is to not have a true understanding of who God is. And when you read through, I think of Isaiah Isaiah in chapter 6, when he was given that vision of God, and do you remember it? He was there, and he was in the presence of God, and there were those magnificent seraphim who cried out to one another, holy, holy, holy. And what does Isaiah do? He fell on his face as a dead man, and he said, woe is me. He was confronted with the holiness of God. And it took him to his face. But I'll tell you this too. To ignore the wrath of God is to rob ourselves of an understanding of the extent of the love and grace of Jesus. Let me try to explain that. God's holiness and justice require A punishment for sin. You do understand that, don't you? For God to be just, he has to punish sin. In fact, the scripture says, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He has to. And when he punishes sin, that is his anger, that is his wrath that is poured out upon sin. But let me give you the good news of the gospel. The good news is that Jesus became the propitiation in our place we are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus who put god forward as a propitiation see the word who put who put god who put jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith and here's what i'm saying jonah was punished for his disobedience Jesus was punished for our disobedience. And he did all of this so that those of us who would believe would never have to experience his condemnation and wrath. If you don't understand this, if you don't understand the wrath of God, you don't understand what happened on that cross. And there on the cross, the sinless Son of God bore the wrath of God, bore the very pain of hell. So much so that he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because at that moment on the cross, the very wrath of God was poured out upon him. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you, when you understand that, do you get a better picture of just how much he loves you? When you realize what he did on that cross... Does it give you a better picture of what he did for you? Of his love for you? The extent of his love for you? The grace that he's poured in? And as a result of Jesus being the propitiation of our sins by his blood, as a result of that, you know what? Ah, oh, here's the good news. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus look, are you hearing me this morning? All of those regrets, all of that sin, all that shame, all that guilt that we carry around has been lifted forever because there on the cross, Jesus took it. And on that cross, he bore the punishment that we rightly reserve so that you and I would never, ever have to experience the condemnation and the wrath of God. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Well, I can't leave the passage without one more thing. A lot of people stop there and they miss what happened to the sailors. Did you pay attention to that when I read it? At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord And made vows to him. What these pagan sailors experienced had a profound impact on their lives. They knew that they were going to to die, but God spared them when Jonah was thrown overboard. And then they experienced a new kind of fear it wasn't the dreadful fear of perishing. But rather, it was a holy fear of their newly found Savior, the Lord. And it's interesting. Here's the key to understanding that verse. The key is in the name of God there. You know, when you read through the Old Testament, there are a number of names of God. And sometimes you read most of your versions will say, use the word God. And most often, the translators are translating a word that was a general word for God, the word Elohim or the word El in Hebrew. But the sailors didn't use that name at this point. They used another name. And in your Bibles, most often, it's translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see it? Now let me tell you why translators did that. They want you to know that that is the covenant name of God that he gave to his people to enter into relationship with him. Do you remember when Moses was to be sent to lead the people out of Egypt? And he says, who do I say sent me, God? And he said, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me. That's this word. What you see here is the beginning of faith for these pagan sailors who had now come to see the one true living God. Who could save them? And do you notice what the first thing they did was? They offered sacrifice. Why? They understood substitution, propitiation. They made the sacrifice. And then they made vows to the Lord. Now, we're not told what they are. But I think all of us would probably agree that I imagine that their vows were that they want to honor and serve and love and obey their newly found Savior. You see, that's the place of obedience in the Christian life. Obedience doesn't earn favor for us for God. Obedience is the response of love and gratitude that we have for what God has done for us. Well, I hope you see in this passage, I hope you see the gospel, and I hope you see Jesus here. It points to the one who came to be our substitute and the propitiation for our sins. We're going to close this morning our service with one of, these, one of the beautiful hymns Philip Bliss wrote. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And you would recognize it. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. But look at the second stanza. Look at it carefully. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, substitute. Condemned propitiation. He stood. Seal my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. This is what I hope you hear this morning. Jesus bore God's wrath in our place. He satisfied God's justice for us. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, this is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. And this morning, Lord, as we contemplate you, Jesus, ultimate substitute the one who became the propitiation for our sins the atoning sacrifice who bore the wrath of God oh Lord how can we ever say thank you I pray this morning that we would stand in awe of who you are I pray today that if there are any people that are here this morning who've never understood the core of the Christian message God it would be abundantly clear and that they would begin to take responsibility for their sins and turn to you in repentance and look to you for forgiveness through the precious blood of Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who've been Christians a long time, oh Lord, I pray we never, ever take for granted the message of the gospel, that you loved us so much that you gave your son, who became the propitiation for our sins. We pray this prayer in his name. Amen.